Hello and welcome to the SBS Cycling Central podcast. I'm looking at Rob Arnold, who's actually recording me right now, and I really wish he wasn't. Um, I'm Philip Gomes, and uh, with me today are Anthony Tan, the aforementioned Rob from Ride Media, and Jamie Finch Penninger. Overnight, the uh, Giro d'Italia abandoned its attempt to inject some incitement and fan interest into the race with a best downhill prize. Needless to say, that didn't go over too well with the uh, already safety-conscious peloton and many fans. Many thought it was going to be a too dangerous an incentive. Uh, the reception was not good by any measure, and the UCI pretty much told the Giro organizers to drop it, so they did. Uh, as the Giro said overnight in uh, a press release, Comments have been made suggesting that this initiative could be potentially misunderstood and generate behaviors not in line with the safety principle. The race organizers have taken these comments on board and changed an initiative that could be misinterpreted. Therefore, the race organizers have decided to eliminate all such classification and prize money as per the race regulations, leaving the timekeeping of the descents purely as statistical data for the fans. Okay, the Giro is soon upon us. We're talking Friday night, uh, Sydney time, Australia time, for the first stage, which will be a sprint stage, which will be an opportunity to feature um, riders like Andre Greipel, Caleb Ewan, Fernando Gaviria, Giacomo Nozolo, Jacob Marseco, and uh, Sasha Modolo. A lot of Odolos on that one. It is the Giro. It is the Giro, so there are many Italians in the race. There are uh, there are only, what, seven seven Australians? Uh, Adam Hansen, Rory Sutherland, Nathan Haas, Rowan Dennis, uh, and the three from Orca, Scott, Alex Edmondson, Caleb Ewan, and Michael Hepburn. So the young guys are getting a bit of a run there for Orca Scott. What do we make of the Giro this year, Anthony? Where would we like to start? Jeez, it's, uh, well... I don't normally plug anything I do well, outside of SBS, but yeah, I did write a Giro preview for uh, Bicycling Australia magazine. And, uh, and when I had a look at the route, it, it looks like it has been designed for Vincenzo Nibali. If you look at stage four to Etna the day after it finishes in his hometown, then there's another stage. So it's kind of formulated around his strengths if you like uh, but then then again um, you've got a guy I, I noticed Tom Dumoulin's comments overnight at the first of the press conferences uh, yesterday uh, in Sardinia and he said that Quintana at 90% is can go for the win whereas them at 95% will probably won't be contesting the win so it gives you a fair idea of how Dumoulin is pretty um, spot on with his commentary so I, I feel that they're all looking to Quintana at this Giro. Rob? I've been thinking about a lot of things of late but, um, <laughs> and the Giro is one of them and I, I, I don't know I mean we, we will talk on about the downhill competition in a, in a minute I would imagine but, but we, can, we can talk about it for right broad now, brush strokes you know you've you've compiled a little list of the GC guys and it is interesting you know we can uh, I think it's important to expand beyond the usual suspects for the Giro which is Nibali 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 Quintana 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 and that, I think that it's interesting to see that uh, for example Thibaut Pinot has been having a pretty good season he's been kicking around showing that he wants to race real hard and when he there's two kinds of 
Thibaut Pinot, aren't they? There's, there's the, um, the very good one and the completely average one. And I think we're up to the very good stanza in that uh, regular rolling sequence. So I think that would be something that would make the Giro sort of have it, enliven it a little, give, give a French flavour to it in the 100th anniversary year. Or I think that something different would, would, would be uh, compelling. And similarly, we've had a lot of Giros of late where Sky goes in with full of talk. <laughs> there was all that, that, is, that year when Bradley Wiggins was to go and make a big show of it and it just came to, it became a comedy caper. And uh, we've had strange showings from Sky at the Giro in recent years. But if, if Geraint Thomas is coming off the form that he's shown in a Tour of the Alps, for example, uh, wouldn't that be interesting? And then, of course, I think we have to talk about Adam Yates, you know, best young rider at the Tour de France last year, going for GC uh, on a team that's sort of rolling towards uh, being more of a, a general classification uh, outfit. So I, I wish all the best to Orica Scott. I think Adam would put on a good show and hopefully uh, get a little bit more animated in his interviews. Uh, Jamie? Uh, I'd like to say it's probably the best um, GC duo field I think I've ever seen in my history of following the race. Um, Which goes back... Oh, probably, I don't know. Yesterday? No, seven or eight, <laughs> seven or eight years, I suppose. I mean... Um, I can't think of a stronger field that I've seen um, coming to this race. I mean, Quintana, yes, he's the standout, but you, you've got Nibali, who's won all three Grand Tours, and you've got guys who've been, you know, top five at the Tour de France, on the podium at the Tour de France, and um, also the next generation of Grand Tour riders like Tom Dumoulin, um, Adam Yates, uh, Ilmar Zakarin, a uh, guy like uh, Davide Formolo from Cannondale Drapak, and it's just a it's, it's a smorgasbord of talent, and I'm really interested to see how it goes. I was interested in you saying it's made for Nibali, Tani. I mean, there's 70 kilometres of time trialling in there, and yeah. that, that sounds like made for Dumoulin or um, maybe Thomas or you know, one of those guys. Kreisvik, even. I, I think mm. it is a lot of time trialling, but I wouldn't say... If you look at the way, uh, you know, there was a fair bit of time trialling, I believe, in the 2014 Tour de France and Nibley did okay. Okay, you could say that Contador and uh, Froome crashed out, but still, you know, he I think he finished second in the final time trial there. So uh, Nibley, I've actually made the error as well, like he's, it's weird for a guy so well credentialed, such a, a good Palmares that he is underrated. Again, a quote from Dumoulin, I didn't expect Nibali to win last year, but he did. Uh, I, I know it's very matter of fact, but that's the thing. You don't expect Nibali to win, but he does. Uh, the way he came back in the final two stages really was, for me, that was a feat which few people saw. Well, let's be honest, Kreuzweig would have won if he hadn't have crashed. No, no. No? No, I don't think you could say that because the, he, of the he way... He crashed and lost, what, four minutes on that stage and then went on to lose a few more minutes the next stage and that was, you know, the third last stage of the Giro. Yes, but look at, you know, look at what happens. Uh, he was he was an inexperienced Grand Tour rider and inexperience really cost him and, and he's, it's his bike handling. Uh, I'm with you, Jamie. I well, think yeah, he, he um, would have won and uh, I don't know if you can call a crash inexperience. Well, Nibali took advantage of someone who was yet in oxygen debt. I mean, we can kind of 
go backwards and forwards on this, but in the end, Nibali won. I'm, I'm going to yeah. actually. I'm, so, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Anthony on this one. So we're going to we're going to split the table two two two, because it's all about pressure. Mm. This is the thing, and you've got a guy like Nibali out there. You just know he's on the hunt, and yeah. he's applying pressure. So the pressure's on Kreuzwick. He's in the lead. He's leading the race. It's ramping up every single day as he gets closer and closer to the finish, and then he makes a mistake. Mm. And, you know, Nibley is not one of those guys who tends to make those types of mistakes. All of the top Grand Tour, Grand Tour riders are absolute killers when it comes to that stage of a race. They finish the job. Mm. So that's the difference, I think, between a rider like Nibali and a rider like, say, Krasvik or even Dumoulin, who we're not entirely sure yet what how good he is in a Grand Tour. Mm. We'll find out this year, I reckon. But that's my feeling. For me, it's about pressure and how you apply it. And Nibali is consistent across the board in taking as many advantages as possible throughout a race mm. and applying pressure on the other riders. And we're also used to seeing him in Astana. I mean, it, but the, the new format with Bahrain Merida is going to... We haven't really seen a lot of him this year. We didn't see... I don't remember seeing anyone from Bahrain doing anything much in, in uh, Flesh Alone or uh, uh, Best on Liège. Sonny Colbrelli was very good um, across the classic season. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and but he, I'm sort of talking... He's not going to go for GC, oh, no, no. So we're talking about just those, the, the few classics where you do tend to get a, a little showing from the GC guys. Uh, there, there wasn't much from Nibali where in the past... I, I think he had a rip-roaring Liège a couple of years ago where he was attacking about 40Ks from the finish and really showing himself. But I don't know. I... I, I, I um, have been riding Tour de France guide, so I've sort of been reviewing the teams and considering compositions and different things. And Tim Barre Marita has got a really uh, a, a, an eclectic selection, <laughs> and I think that they've come in. It's one of the there's two kinds of teams, aren't there, for the Grand Tours? The ones that focus on the Tour or the Giro, and I think Barre Marita this year is going for the Giro much more, and it will we'll see what comes from that. Yeah, I'll probably just on the earlier point, you know, the way. Kreuzweg's uh, trajectory, if you like, during last year's Giro was not dissimilar to the way Dumoulin rode the, the Vuelta two years back. And they both cracked in the end. And again, you know, I'll sort of reaffirm what I said previously. You know, it, it comes down to, yeah, the pressure being applied and then the experience inexperience in that sort of situation. I mean, they, they both cracked at the behest of others. Um, Rob, you talked about Sky and uh, the possibilities that they might bring uh, to this race. They, it, while, um, uh, while Garen Thomas did particularly well at uh, Tour of the Alps, mm. there's still, a, still quite a few questions around him, but also Miguel Landa. Yeah. Landa just hasn't seemed to be able to convert that form from a couple of years ago into something worthwhile at Sky. No, I think they know how to sort of use him up. You know, we've seen him at the front of the bunch quite a lot. And I don't... I think when they, they go in with a Brit, or a Welshman in this case, they, they tend to, like, to hone in on that. And and the the others, the Spaniards, they, they're, they're used as fodder. And, you know, if Garrett falters, then I think Lander's going to be put in the position, which happened years ago in 2011, for example, when uh, Rigoberto Uran got sort of... He was... Come and replace us now that Bradley's broken his collarbone uh, and, and try and lead us through. And, and, and it was a lost cause. There was a couple of years ago when Chris Froome crashed out and, and Richie was given, you know, 
plan B leadership status and it was good until he got sick. Um, there's been that sort of sequence at Sky and the Giro's never really happened for them. Remember a couple of years ago when they had Richie and, you know, in his special camper van and all of those things that they did to make sure he was in prime form and he had basically a, a, a meltdown after that wheel chains incident and, and never really came back. So um, I think that there is a... There's been a, a case of... Uh, big ambition and and exactly what you're talking about earlier with Vincenzo where there's a uh, a little bit of a mental meltdown because of the pressure perhaps. I don't know. Hmm. Um, looking at some of the younger guys, so we, we did mention Adam Yates a little, a little earlier and uh, looking at the composition of Orica Scott, in terms of help for him, he will have Ruben Plaza and Carlos Verona because they're going to run a two, a, a twin strategy of supporting Caleb Ewan for the sprints and Adam for the, uh, for the mountains. Uh, with 70 kilometers worth of time trialing in this race, Jamie, do you think that somebody like Adam Yates could win the Giro? I think a win is... Well, he was fourth last year um, at the Tour. I mean, that, that is good enough form to win the Giro d'Italia. Um, I think his time trialing has got better significantly um, since the early days. I don't see him winning this one, partially, as you mentioned, because of that split focus. If anything goes wrong, like it did on a few occasions for Chavez last year, he had um, a bunch of guys, including you know Ruben Plaza, Damien Hausen in particular was very good as well, mm. to drag him to drag him back up to the league group. Um, this year, that is going a lot of that is going to be on Plaza and Verona, um, and I'm not sure Verona is really quite of the caliber to be um, firing in the, at the end of a mountain stage. Um, they are bringing Ewan, so obviously they're they're planning to, you know, go for the sprints as well. So and I don't know you've got to give them both their chance, though, don't you? So I'm not sure what the balance you strike there is. Yeah, I think uh, Michael Hepburn, for example, he f- finished the Giro last year on his hands and knees, and uh, he. Uh, but that was different because he still had the Olympic focus, and so he's a different rider now because he had to get through Rio and do the team pursuit. And uh, I think my understanding of Michael is that he's changed his program significantly this year. He's going to be a more versatile workhorse. And that's not to say that he's going to be up there in the mountains at all, but he's he's going to be a force in that that, that moment before uh, Mez get... Oh, how do you say Luke? Yeah. Mez, say his name? Mezgetch. Mezgetch, yeah. when he takes over for Caleb. So... Um, I, I don't know. It's uh, We can't just sort of talk about this year's Giro based on what we've seen in the past because there's a lot of differences. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how uh, Adam Yates rides because if you look at the way he rode, the tour was very conservative. You know, White only let out at the very end of once the tour was over that he was in fact a protected rider for GC. But the thing is, uh, Yates is a a far more will be a more marked man because they know what he can do so i think he will have to i don't think he can sit in like he did um quite inconspicuously uh, i th- i think they will be watching him and so he'll he will need to i'm not saying he will need to um kind of launch his own attacks but he'll he'll need to be more prominent because if you notice, on a lot of those mountain stages in the tour, he was sitting at the back. Um, Do we talk about Adam now? It's, what is it, his 683rd billionth. Grand Tour in a row yeah. or something? 
Uh, I mean, and he, we're talking about Adam Hansen, by the way. And he, he uh, celebrates a birthday in May, so there will be one day where he's sort of motivated. I think he's won either. He won a stage one day before his birthday or after his birthday. Stage seven or something like that, I think, at the Giro a few years ago, yeah. But he he, he doesn't just turn up just to tick off the kilometres and do stage after stage. No. He he inevitably finds one day which suits him and he he gives it some stick and he entertains and he, he, he talks a good tour. Yeah, you know, it's, but he it's always an absolute pleasure to to hear his insight and to mm. understand what he's seen, and uh, hopefully we'll get him on the phone at some point during the the Giro and find out what it's all like for him. Yeah, yeah. It, look, uh, he, he's become kind of like a novelty, a novelty in cycling because you know every year we just we're just like, which is the year that he's actually not going to ride all three Grand Tours? Now that's really what it's come down to. When will the streak stop? Well, that's, that's, that's the question. <laughs> that's the question he doesn't like getting asked. He's a bit over it. You, mm. you can tell he gives short shrift to the, the journalists that do it. But how can you not ask the question when every single time is another Grand Tour notched? Mm. Um, do we care about the sprinters at the Giro? Really? Uh, the sprinters aren't great. It's kind of like an afterthought, isn't it? I mean, we've got Gripa, we've got Ewan, we've got Gaviria. I mean, uh, putting the... You and Gaviria um, fight is going to be the fight that we're going to see for a long time in cycling. So I'm excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll probably go home after stage 10 or whatever. And uh, Well, actually, stage 10 is the time trial, so they might stick on for a few more stages. But um, after that, you've got Nizzolo, Marechko and Modolo. And, you know, you're ending up with lesser-named sprinters winning those final stages, I'd say. Yeah, there's no, if you look at the final week, well, there's three rest days in this Giro. They've made it that way for two years now. But, yeah, in that final week, there's three high mountain stages. So, really, what's, what's the point? And then there's no um, bookend finish. You know, it ends with a time trial from the Autodrome to Milan's Duomo. So, there's no point hanging around to the finish either for a, a sprint. So it's really we're, our interest, well, at least our Australian interest, will be just looking out for Caleb and seeing how he performs. Yeah, and just getting used to that figure of Rory tapping it out kilometre after kilometre after kilometre for Quintana. We're talking about Rory Sutherland here. <laughs> <laughs> Who is an Australian? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's good to give a nod to him because he is such a workhorse. He, was a, you know, he enjoyed leadership status for a few years when he was riding for American domestic teams. Um, but he's back and he, he knows his place in the bunch. I think he's 37 now. And um, I, I, I've always had a soft spot for Rory. We met when he was a junior in the development team for Rabobank all those years ago. And he just, he just keeps on keeping on. And he, he really enjoys himself. He's the only Sp- uh, Aussie to ever ride on that Spanish team. And uh, we do see a lot of him. You know, the Ardennes Classics was a uh, case in point where he was just on the front time and time and time again for Flesh Wallone and Liege Bastogne Liege. And both times he ends up celebrating the win with Valverde. So uh, I, there's a reason why I'm talking about him. I, I think that, you know, if if you do get to see any of the Giro, you will see a lot of Rory. Yeah, we, we, we talk a lot about, um, say, Matty Heyman, for example, mm. you know, who's a, a, a vintage, right? Yeah. Um, but Rory definitely flies under the radar. But there's something about the characteristics of those types of riders, and we count Matthew Heyman and Adam Hansen among them. Mm. They're all... They're important guys and they're serious guys, but they're they're also tend to be quite quiet and unassuming in terms of the way they go about business. Mm. And I think Sutherland, probably more than the other two, is very very quiet. He just gets on with the job. 
he's trusted clearly trusted a movie star because normally you know they'd pick a Spaniard for that job. Mm. Yeah, they. It's almost like they don't expect to be interviewed. So, well, certainly before Heyman won Roubaix, anyway, it's almost like when someone does ask them, "Oh, can I ask you some questions?" They're like, "Oh, oh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> but because what they do is, it's it's hardwired in them. They're, they're they're more they're far more comfortable with being these, yeah, sort of semi-anonymous domestiques who who just as rob says they just tap it out i mean what 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 can you say about that what what, what glamorous yeah what do you plan to do today oh i'm on the front for 100k Mm. just like i did yesterday yeah Mm. so you know what do you do but i don't know if we preview the giro really we sort of talked about a few names but but i mean it's it's it runs to a formula doesn't it the first 10 days of you know, a little bit of mayhem. Inevitably, something strange happens, like crazy Italian attack, and there's a break or a crash, and then there's some guys up the road for thirty minutes. Yeah, or, yeah. or you know, one of the favourites falls in the last couple of hundred meters of a stage. Yeah, and like Contador did a few years ago, and then he battles back, and then you know, there, there's always some odd element in that first ten days. Then we settle in. Inevitably, there's a time trial where that shakes up the GC order, and they do tend to swap the the Maglia Rosa around quite a lot. So it's unpredictable in its predictability. In its predict- yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. yeah in yeah. other words, just sit back, just basically <laughs> tune in in the morning and find out what sort of mayhem unfolded in the first week. And and sadly, you won't be watching that on SBS <laughs> because but spending the first few days island hopping anyway. It's a bit what? like the the Grande Par of 2013 when we went to Corsica and. Spent. I, I remember it fondly. It was wonderful. We spent four or five days on the ferry, just cruising from town to town. Stage four is going to be beautiful. Yeah. Chefalut to uh, Mount Etna. I wish I. Was I've done there. that drive. I wish I. Was. It's lovely. Tell us more. No. Let's so, reminisce about your holiday. No, no. <laughs> my holiday. You, watch it, you watch it on television. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, before, so we get we kind of wrap this up. It's not really a you know we we just want to talk about the narrative of the race really. Yeah. Um, before we wrap this up. Uh, we're going to make that call. Who's going to win? Who's your pick, Anthony? Oh, I'd, you, it's hard to look past Quintana for me. Hmm. You got a podium? Well, geez, Phil. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably say I'd, I'd really like uh, Kreuzweg to finish on the podium and maybe flanking him. Uh, who would I say? Well, sir, pro- yeah, Lander definitely not. Um I don't, I don't know who we got here. Probably Yates. Yeah. All right. Are we going a podium? Uh, uh, pick, pick one guy to win and maybe your podium. Okay. Your, your dream uh, podium. Rory Sutherland, uh, <laughs> Adam Hansen, and you are uh, dreaming, Nathan yeah. Haas. That's, oh, yeah. Nathan Haas. I forgot about Haasy. Pretty yeah. sure that should be the podium. Yeah. Oh, no, um, In an ideal world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to say that uh, the, the, the hoodoo is going to come off Sky and we're going to see something special from Geraint Thomas. Ooh. And, uh, and I'm going to just go with my sentimental uh, favourite. I'd like to see Thibaut Pino up there on the podium and then can Tana's going to be kicking around. Okay. Yeah. Jamie? Kroosvai, uh, Quintana and Dumoulin. But I am interested to see how Rowan Dennis goes in his first real attempt at being a Grand Tour rider. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely worth referencing. Because yeah, yeah. we've got we've got TJ. he focuses on something and he, mm. and he's and he does it. Yeah. He does it and he pulls it off. And uh, I spoke to him in January. Everything's been changed to turn him 
he doesn't think he's going to lose a lot of that top end for the time trial and he knows for this Giro he doesn't want to but he's honing his, uh, his climbing form and uh, this kid's pretty special. Yeah, I think we'll see him right up there until maybe the third week when, yeah. when that um, real endurance is required to stay out. Okay, there. the big yeah. question then, mm. will Rowan beat TJ? Yes. <laughs> it's not a question. <laughs> it's well, a given. He's, he's riding okay. You've yeah. got to give oh, Van Garderen some credit. Yeah, he's, he's doing all right, uh, I, I think. But, yeah, we, we have to – it's almost like it's uh, – if TJ doesn't crack after the second rest day, then it's an, an anomaly. Okay. Uh, my, uh, my podium will be uh, Nara Quintana, uh, followed by Vincenzo Nibali. And then after that, um, I'm into, uh, I think, uh, Stephen Kreisek. I'll, take a, I'll make a serious play on that one. Mm. I think those are going to be the three best guys. There's other guys like Ilner Zakarin, you know, who always seems to have a particularly bad day, who does have the potential, but he never seems to quite get there. Um, and then after that, who knows? Not mm. Michelanda, though. Yeah. So I just don't think he's got the goods. But there when, we go. When people were talking about the downhill incident, are we going to focus oh, yeah. on that? So can we talk I, about I the downhill? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about two, two other things related to the Giro. Oh, one okay. is the downhill. Okay. Right? And then the other one, obviously, is um, uh, Scarponi. Um, Should we have a musical interlude? No, no, no. Let's go right into it. We'll just follow it. We'll yeah. just add this on. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so let's talk about the downhill. Your, your thoughts and perspectives on this uh, attempt by the Giro to inject... I'd, some excitement I'd into the race. I started some social commentary about 10 times yesterday, you know, basically saying this is just ridiculous. It's offensive uh, when uh, there's been, especially this year where we've had an accident only last week where a young, a 20-year-old American died uh, because of results of a, of a, of a race. Okay, I don't, it, I don't know if it was a descent that he crashed on. But anyway, we're talking about some duty of care from race organisers and then they come out with what's essentially a, an enormous publicity stunt. Were they ever going to go for, through with it? Or did they just realise that there would be such feedback in advance? Because they've played it well. They've got huge publicity from it. They, it. It came out when basically when the race regulation book was published and people started reading it and it was sort of like, what the hell is... what? You could talk about it, but to apply it and to then consider it and then to get a sponsor for it... Uh, and then, so I, I did nothing is the upshot of my my ponderings yesterday until uh, finally at about 9.30 last night they issued a release and it said we're not going to do it. And I just took a screenshot and I put it on Twitter and it went very well. And the, the general sentiment, and I'd said um, logic is so logical uh, <laughs> and, and, and it, it got shared around and uh, there seems to be a, a general uh, acceptance that... Yeah, this was a dumb rule. And, and then I put it more or less the same thing on Facebook with this comment saying, do we even need the data? And then a lot of people came out and said, come on, sprinters have to sprint all the time. That's dangerous. And people attacked me for, for even suggesting that it was a dumb thing to time them on a descent. Um, but let's be clear. There's a downhill competition in mountain biking. But if you put a downhill mountain biker, stand them next to a, a road cyclist, and you can see there's a pretty obvious safety difference. You've got full face helmet, you've got body armor, you've got all sorts of things that are designed to help the person should he come a cropper in downhill mountain biking. Well, so that's a time downhill event. Do it in road cycling. Give them some extra body armor. But seriously, <laughs> it's just asking 
for risks to be taken that aren't necessary. Yeah, well, they're also not doing it on um, roads that they don't know um, in potentially treacherous conditions with team cars around them trying to overtake other riders. So there's a, a myriad of other things there. Um, personally, I think there's something in this. I, I applaud their you know, ingenuity and trying to create some, you know, something a bit different. But, yeah, in practice this just wasn't going to work. And also the actual winning of it was going to be a time thing, so you have to wait for all the times to come in and there's none of that cathartic, you know, crossing over the line first and throwing your arms up in the air and, and it wouldn't have been a great visual spectacle either, I don't think. I yeah. mean, people love to see people racing down. I love to go downhill fast, but I don't, I don't want to be encouraged to take risks. Like... It's it's yeah. logical and there's a gentle there's something it's sort of like let's do body line on cycling let's actually throw balls you know and hard cricket <laughs> balls at people's heads you yeah. know like there's sort of that's a obtuse connection but you're trying to basically make the sport more dangerous for amusement's sake if it was sponsored by Red Bull and it was a standalone one day event maybe just maybe but yeah in the lighter I think it was Chad Young's mm. death, and um, then don't forget uh, uh, Walter Wayland. And yeah. thinking the 2012 Giro, uh, I, it's it's just appalling timing. So it, we, we've spoken in a number of previous recent podcasts about cycling needed to cycling needs to evolve, but this is uh, definitely a form of uh, regression rather than progression. So I, I know too many family members of bike riders who are going to the Giro, and that includes, you know, I know Nathan Huss's dad and his sister, and I, I don't want them to be... I don't want people who are associated with guys in the race sitting there just basically, you know, fingers crossed to hope that they aren't pushed. There's a gentleman's accord on a descent. When it's dangerous, the peloton generally has a bit of sense mm. and they work together. Yep. But you put a prize and you make and you turn it into something, where where would it lead? Yeah. It's uh, I think it's It fiasco. would be much much better to have a prize awarded for the first out of the breakfast room in something the morning. Like yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, well, quick one whilst we mentioned um, Chad Young um, unfortunately passing. Um there was also a Namibian cyclist uh, Raul Costa Sabib who died um just a few days ago as well, so. What happened? I think I think he was hit by a car in his case, but um, Christ, you know it's dangerous time in cycling. Yeah, yeah, we've had quite a few losses, and um, let's talk about one of those losses, which obviously is uh, Michele Scarponi. Not a not an inconsiderable loss, in fact, quite a considerable one. Uh, the Giro will be doing a number of things to remember uh, um, Scarponi. Uh, Italian Serie A in the aftermath of his death um, also took moments of silence mm. at the games on on that weekend, which I thought was fantastic, which wow. showed you the kind of impact his death had on Italian sport alone, just mm. Italian sport. And I think that's something we didn't really quite, we don't quite get to see here in Australia, is how much you have that kind of crossover uh, and how much cycling actually does mean in Italy mm. uh, to see a sport like football, which is the number one sport by a quantum uh, of difference, uh, that they still would take the time to, to consider uh, that loss of life. So, uh, Anthony, any thoughts on uh, Michele? Uh, not, none other than really uh, than I've already um, wrote in a, um, my previous blog post, but I, I think um, the Inner Ring did a really nice um, story on him and, uh, you know, yeah, you can't really get away from, you know, his, his um, 
he's he's doping, but the the same time, yeah, it's 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 he was kind of like this. I think why a lot of people liked him, not because he doped, but because he was a slightly well, he's eccentric, uh, flawed character. There there was something very human about him, and I think that's why a lot of people, not just within Italy but outside of Italy, gravitated. And then he also he, he had a very quirky sense of humor. You know those. Uh, video posts of him on Twitter, you know, with this um, bird. Frankie the parrot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I only just saw those last week. They're pretty funny. They're great. They're really, really good. I think we did the podcast just a couple of days before he died, the the most recent podcast until today. And um, he just won... The, the stage of uh, the Tour of the Alps. Yes. The only, the only race that Astana's won this year. And I, I sort of wanted to talk about him then because because um, he is a veteran, you know, he's considered, he's, he's in history books as the winner of the 2011 Giro. And, uh, and uh, when he won the race a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, Jose Bean had put a, a, a tweet out with a picture of him back in the Aqua Saponi days with the the zebra striped outfit and talked about oh you know the, the old guys were young once sort of that kind of thing and I think that um, when Scarponi went through the Operation Puerto scandal I remember him calling himself the old mongrel dog you know and there was I, I think he was sort of having a almost a, a play on words based on all of the the, the code names being <laughs> associated with, with dogs, dogs yeah. Um, yeah. and and he was there just little thoughts came into my mind after I heard the news and I, I remember where, exactly where I was we were, the swans were just about to run onto the SCG and I was with my kids and I opened the phone to take a photo of of the footy and I, I saw the announcement and and I I completely ignored what was going on at the AFL, and my kids were like, "What's wrong?" And I, I, um, I was gobsmacked. I was just, and I, and I, you know, I shed a tear, and I just thought, "This is so sad." And um, the the cycling community, more than any other sporting community, tends to have to rally around news like this. And the, the last couple of weeks, it's just been, Wondering you know, with Mike are. Hall and then Scarponi and then Chad Young, and, and it's just, it just. You, we say no words, but the, then inevitably you find words because you're just trying to express your your grief. I don't know. Well, let's uh, let's end our Giro coverage there, and uh, we'll move on to the next topic in one or two seconds. Well, if anyone of you out there have been following the latest ructions in the media, particularly if you're Sydney-based or Australian-based, where the uh, Fairfax media outfit has just decided to sack another 150 journals. Uh, media right around the world is uh, is undergoing a tremendous amount of transformation. And uh, it also hit a little bit close, close to home here with cycling with you, Rob, because you've decided to make a full, effectively a full digital transformation of your business. Um, We're close it, to it anyway. It's not quite so. Okay, just a little. All right, tell us a story. A buddy. little bit of history, <laughs> and a lot of people who have heard me gibber I know that I publish a magazine. It's called Ride Cycling Review. It's been around since July 1998, and uh, I established it by myself, and uh, I've been running it with a very small team in Sydney for close on 20 years. And last Wednesday, uh, I made an announcement that we'd stop with regular print editions, hmm. and so it's been quarterly ever since it began. And I'm very proud of what we've been able to do over those years. Um, we uh, came to cycling um, at a time where it wasn't, didn't get much media over in Australia and I just wanted to review it. I love, 
the sport. I love the act of writing. I like product. I think it's a, a fantastic thing to write about. Uh, and I'm really, I could get really emotional if I really consider what, what I've done over the last few years with, you know, a committed group of contributors and great clients and people who have really supported my initiative. Um, but uh, we're going to stop with the quarterly editions. <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm turning my back on print. Print is something that is a tangible product. I've been really selling it to, to all of my clients for years saying that, um, there's something lovely about the anticipation that a quarterly, big quarterly cycling magazine brings. And it's been uh, a sheer joy to be part of that ride and to try and bring cycling into people's lives. Uh, but the, the strain of the deadline gets to me. And also the last thing I wanted to do was make a compromise product. I don't want to just be another 100-page magazine with filler. Uh, I put my heart and soul into what's in the magazine that I make. And um, I hope people like what, what they've read over the years, what they've seen in the pictures, and, and they've enjoyed turning the pages and, and, and being part of it. But I, I realise that there's a, that the opportunity to be more immediate with the audience is something that I find really fulfilling, and I like to be able to publish a story and see the reaction immediately and then respond to that accordingly. I've spent so much of the last 20 years set staring at a computer screen making pages and I want to be a little bit more um, liberal with my time. I'd like to get out there, I'd like to ride bikes, I'd like to um, take up the opportunities that are presented to me and I'd like to keep sharing cycling in the way that I see it and I, I bring years of, of, of experience to the table and um, anyway it it's, uh, was a, an announcement that was a, difficult to make but mm, uh, mm. ultimately one that I'm, I'm comfortable with doing I feel quite liberated and uh, exactly what the future holds it's something that I, that will play out and I, I look forward to to sharing that with the people who have been readers of ride for so long it's Anthony I mean this this sort of this sort of transition I mean this is this is obviously where we're all headed and I think uh, the cycling public in general I think are very connected digital people um, so I can only see this as a good thing it's basically Rob joining the age of the flying car. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I haven't had a, a chance to, well, I, I've had a chance to think about Rob's situation and, well, his decision, I should say, and then also what in, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Phil, about what's happening in Fairfax. I mean, the the thing is, oh, there's there's, it's almost polarized commentary on this it's it, people say well fairfax it's too late for them they they should have gone digital well well beforehand but it's it's hard to say when you're so it's it's print is so enmeshed in your dna it's hard to give that up just as it was hard for rob to make that decision i'm sure uh i i don't know whether as as a freelance journalist for the last 10 years i mean i i guess i got into cycling journalism maybe a couple of years after rob i started at cycling news i think in 2001 so um you know, I made the decision to study journalism because I I believed I had an inquisitive mind. I still do, but I do lament for the future of journalism. I'm not sure whether 
I mean, the, the place for journalists as it was when I studied is is very different from today um, and as it was different uh, 30 years ago when you didn't need to do a degree. Now you need that degree just to get your foot in the door or you might not even get your foot in the door. It, it might just be someone at least pausing about three to four seconds before they throw your CV in the rubbish bin. So it's, uh, it's an interesting time. Uh, I can't say how long much longer I'll spend in it uh, because I don't believe I think there is a future but you know you need um, you need to use use that experience in a in a different way just as I no longer write news stories I write blogs now opinion columns whatever you want to call them and and you know we do things like podcasts that that didn't exist 15 years ago or, or was in very basic form so uh, until last maybe five six seven years so um, things things are changing and you have to adapt otherwise you'll become extinct yeah Jamie now a lot of uh, mm. a lot of this the, the shift that we're seeing in media today is uh, is in response to consumption habits by younger people, millennials. It's often the term that's used, and I made a wisecrack on Twitter about that and the Giro and the downhill competition. But that's neither here nor there. Um, the uh, I mean, for you, is print this is print something that matters to you, or is it? Um, or you just prefer you just consume everything from a digital perspective? Oh no! When I was um, a cycling fan, rather than being you know involved with the media, um, I, Ride was the magazine I'd go to to buy to find not so much news, but um, those interesting stories which um, surrounded the pro racing scene. And I think that's something that's Ride that Ride um, can continue to do. I mean, mm. you just put out a story um, just the other day about Keegan Girdlestone, yeah. and that was a phenomenal story about his comeback. So there's still capacity for those interesting stories to be brought to light, I think. And really, really these days, though the medium may change, that is what is at the heart of good journalism. I think bringing you know interesting content to the people. Yes, there's you know more clickbait around these days and more um, instant um, news and the fight to be that first person, but I think there's still that um, that want and that really that desire from the public to to see quality quality um, journalism on offer. And just to, and just to be clear, um, Rob was not ceasing uh, publication of the awesome tour guide. No, that still continues. Finishing the tour guide this yep. month, and that'll be on sale in June. That's been a tradition since 2003, and yeah, I think man. it's one of those magazines that does generate a footfall into news agents. Uh, even poor old news agents are hemorrhaging yeah, at the yeah. moment. I wouldn't yeah. want to be in that business because there's a reason why media's changing, and that's because so... But it's not just media. Everyone is influenced by the internet at the moment, and, and bike shops are suffering... Um, News agents, the media, but also you know, I wouldn't want to have owned a music store selling CDs hmm. in the last little while. Yeah, video you know, stores, you know. So many things have fallen by the wayside in, in, in the, the last, since the smartphone in 2008, it's really. Transformative, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's also, it's on from a commercial point of view, it's not to say that there's no um, revenue to be made. In fact, um, the ABC made a good point last night, 50% of that, Re revenue, the advertising revenue now uh, is 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 now taken by Google and Facebook. So 
the revenue has gone somewhere else. Um, the, ab- the revenue generated from advertising, that is. Um, but they also said that, you know, they will probably need to look at um, not just advertising because the online advertising is much cheaper than, say, taking out a print ad. So they'll probably have to gener- perhaps generate um, money from publications, that is, generate money from subscriptions. But I- I'm not really sure about that either because there's so much news out there if you can get your news free somewhere else why wouldn't you go there why would you pay for something yeah i think i've got an idea we'll, we'll, we'll leave the last word to you actually because Sorry. we're gonna to have to go in a second yeah it's so, a long run but yeah. uh it's for me the media is a reverse funnel an upside down funnel to what it used to be so it used to be um the, the editor would take a little bit of knowledge and broadcast that to a wider audience but now there's so much t- information out there that the good editing is still required to concertina all of that information and pull it out into a tiny little you know the the stream that people really need to see and that's what i've tried to do with ride cycling review it's what you try to do with cycling central there's a there's a wealth of knowledge and news and information out there but it's whittling down the good stories from the boring stories the the, yeah, yeah and um but it's a pleasure to be involved in the podcast. I love new, the, the, the challenges that are offered by new media. I'm looking forward to dancing off into the future, turning the page and um, finding out what comes next. Um, and thanks for letting me talk a little bit about the, the job that I do. No, no worries. Okay, well, on, uh, on that note, uh, we'll wind it up. Um, and let me remind you again, we are not broadcasting to Jiro. Yes, it's sad. We curl up in a corner and cry every morning about it. But that's just the way business is. Um, our next broadcast, live broadcast on SBS, will be the tour of California, the Amgen tour of California, which is in in the middle of the Giro, effectively, and that'll be that'll be great. And you'll have cycling from seven a.m. in the morning until about nine, so two hours each morning for breakfast, which is pretty cool if you think about it. Mm. Uh, it means you don't have to stay up late at night. And then after that, we've got the Criterium de Dauphine, and then from there, we've got the Tour de France. So that's uh, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, but we'll have highlights, news stories, etc. of the Giro. On the website, if you care to uh, to head over there every once in a while and give us a click or two and keep me employed. Oh, that and sounds that- so sad, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> and on plea. that note, we will Ride say goodbye. Bikes. Ride your bikes. <laughs>